RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Will you take my hand? Will you call our show? Those questions and more pondered right now. It's Tuesday, which means Mission Log is live. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Showing up to talk about discovery is what we do. Bringing us questions and comments is what you do, we hope. Here's how you do it. By clicking on the Zoom meeting link from your PC or Mac. That link is right there above and below this video. Uh, You can also give us a call, 646-558-8656. That number again, 646-558-8656. Then you type in the meeting code on the screen. You can also use the one-tap phone from your smartphone, or the one-tap from your smartphone, rather, and be connected that way. Remember, those numbers change from week to week. And I know what you're saying. You're saying, well, this is the last week of Discovery. Isn't this the last week of Mission Log Live? No, 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 my friends. But we'll get into that later. (laughs) It's true, Ken. Tonight, we have all just watched the season finale of Star Trek Discovery. So we'll try to stay specifically on that while we talk about Will You Take My Hand?, But we're not done yet. Oh, no, 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 no. Next week, we'll be back talking about the first season as a whole. What were the highlights? What were the problems? What did we learn at the end of the day? Then, then Mission Log Live will take a week off. And when we return, we'll do something else. (laughs) So join us in early March. Should be the first Tuesday of March. And we'll move to something topical and interview based and not just discovery talk. So we hope to see you then. Same time, same place, facebook.com slash mission log pod at 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. Point of clarification, really quickly. We're talking about the season as a W H O L E whole. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Just, just want to make sure. Hey, before we do uh, the show each week, we post a question for you to mull over. Actually, we post it the week before because we really want you to mull. Uh, the poll question that we asked last week Emperor Giorgio saves herself or saves the day? I really thought, honestly, John, that it was going to be like a binary choice, right? Yeah. But uh, right. not unlike Michael Burnham, she found another way. Uh, the way the poll came out, though, 71% of people said that she was going to save herself. 29% of people said she was going to save the day. I guess if you count the fact that she didn't blow up Kronos, she kind of saved the day. But I don't think that's how we thought that was going to no, go. That's no. Okay. All right. <laughs> so what if we should, but, but, you know, as Spock said, there are always possibilities. So that's where you were. But this week, this week, a whole new question. What we're asking you, hey, did you enjoy your time on Kronos? So right now we have yes at 64% or no at 36%. Maybe a little point of clarification on that one. You could take that question many ways. You enjoy your time on Kronos. Yeah, you know, maybe go to the Orion Club, maybe uh, eat a little space whale. Could just all be fun and games. Or uh, it could be something culturally that you picked up with Klingons. It could be all kinds of reasons to determine if we liked or didn't like our time on Kronos. How about you, Ken? You, you like your time on Kronos? Um, do you want a serious answer? Uh, you can I answer love, that however you want. You and I have talked for years about how it's weird that you go to a planet and it always looks exactly the same. It was interesting to go to a part of Kronos that we never suspected existed. And certainly you can say, well, it's made up. So, of course, we didn't suspect it until somebody wrote it. But for me personally, it was kind of neat to see. But I would imagine there are a bunch of uh, people out there who are Klingon purists who say things like, what's an Orion doing there? And what's an Orion colony doing there? And I could certainly, 
I'm on both sides of the issue. So I may have to revisit Kronos before I can answer. Okay, very good. By the way, uh, right now in the uh, Facebook chat, uh, we have Ian saying uh, he's raising a glass of Tranya to us. So uh, it's very kind, very nice. Also saying hi to Chuck and to uh, Chris Riker and Julian and Joy and everybody who's joining us tonight. Now, uh, keep in mind that if you're a returning visitor, we sure are glad to have you here with us again. If you're new to Mission Log Live, welcome. Just a quick note about how all of this works. You get to tune in every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern, if you'd like to be a part of the show. And now, if you're on Facebook, you can do that in the chat or by clicking the link to call in. It's all happening at facebook.com slash missionlogpod or at youtube.com slash roddenberryprod. I know that I have a Roddenberry prod. Do you have a Roddenberry prod? Now... Let's say that you are busy on a Tuesday night. Let's say you need Mission Log to meet you halfway. Well, we can do that too. Come back and pick up the video whenever you like, or you can also get the handy, portable, easily digestible, audio-only version just by going to podcast.roddenberry.com or by searching for Mission Log Live wherever fine podcasts are found. Now, that feed is updated usually just a few hours after the live show ends, and if you're watching live on Facebook with us right now, hit like, hit share. Sharing is caring. So before we get into this week's recap, we would like to remind you about our uh, shop, which we have a much easier address for you to remember now. This is going to be so super simple. Missionlogpodcast.com. Maybe it's a site you've heard of. I'm not sure. But you go there and you click on shop and you can find all kinds of cool stuff, uh, stuff like this. No, not my Kindle, but yes, that sticker that's on the Kindle. I realized, John, as I was listening back to the audio podcast, um, we're really not good visual storytellers. No, we're not really. So I'm doing just, things like, hey, look at that, you yeah. know, which is great for the people who are here for the video. But what we've got is we've got a guy named Carl who does just some amazing graphics work, and he's put together a bunch of different products for us. And then, of course, uh, there are some of the old shirts that we have as well. So when you go to missionlogpodcast.com and click the uh, shop link, uh, you'll be taken straight to the place. It's got a bunch of T-shirts with really cool logos, um, uh, hearkening back to some of the inside jokes on Mission Log. Some are next-gen, some are TOS. Who knows what's coming down the bike, although I do know we have a lot of stuff that, uh, that Carl is working on. So check that stuff out. Like what are some of the, what are some of the, I'm, I'm missing some. I know, John, what are some of the designs that we have? Yeah, well, I say everybody should have a Carl. They really should, because <laughs> Carl, Carl just cranks out fun stuff. We have, we have Bonk Bonk on the head since 1966. It's a, little, it's a little you see Timmy moment. You've probably heard us mention that many times before on the show. We have Nova Squadron, the, the ill-fated Nova Squadron. Um, so make sure you honor them by uh, wearing their logo. We have the Ditaux Mining Corporation that you pointed out with the old favorites like Cool as Kirk. And of course, I, really the one that started them all, Ethos Pathos Logos. Right? Yeah. Spock McCoy on the transporter pad. That looks good as a shirt. Looks good as a sticker. Uh, I, I like them all. Yeah, and as I mentioned, um, we talk a lot about the T-shirts, but it's 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 journals, it's tapestries, it's stickers, it's all kind of stuff. So you buy something there, you kick a couple of bucks our way, you kick a couple of bucks Carl's way, and you've got shirts that you're really just not going to find anyplace else. The place to do that is missionlogpodcast.com. Um, the good thing is operators are standing by, so you don't even have to talk to anybody. <laughs> right. Yeah, just click on the shop link and, and you're, yeah. you're 
to go. Yeah. So, hey, in just a moment, everybody, we'll open up the lines for comments and questions. And uh, now what, what we could do, Ken, normally I would just immediately say, Ken, do the recap. And then you'd be like, yes, I'm here to do the recap of Will You Take My Hand? But this is live. And when you're live, anything could happen. You you don't know. It, this coffee cup, I could have water in it. I could have coffee in it. I got um, something I else. I heard you guys oh. were looking for a Roddenberry prod. Oh. So I figured I'd drop in. We, we, we also have guests that, that drop in. And, and interestingly, he can talk, but he can't hear you or anybody <laughs> else. Because I don't have headphones. Because you don't on. have headphones. But there he is. There's Rod. Yeah, I have there nothing is. of value to contribute. I am just here to prod things on. Just, see, there's a callback. Yes, you know, yes. So, so everyone, I hope you've got great questions tonight. Of course, I'm watching every night on the Mission Log account. Um, I'm always there giving my thumbs up. Um, I love... Well, sometimes. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, thumbs up when it's good, but okay. often thumbs down. Anyhow, um, you, you guys have been great. Everyone who's participated in this, I, I want to thank you for coming here and, and checking out Mission Log Live and making it a success. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed Discovery. Um, uh, keep keep up the good questions. You guys are asking some really good, thought-provoking stuff. And, and as we step back from season one, especially in the next episode of Mission Log Live, um, I'm hoping that we can all really sort of dig into the meat of this and, and kind of look at it as a whole and say, what was this series about? What were the pros? What were the cons? What do we want for season two? All those sorts of things. So uh, thank you again. I don't want to take up any more time. I love you all. Um, hey, I'm going to actually thanks. be like right off right camera. There. Right there. Yeah. I mean, right every there, now and then you might just see <laughs> like that. Just but that's about it. Yeah, okay. Every now and then I'll just do that. All right. Okay. Don't screw up. Don't screw up. Don't screw up. Don't <laughs> screw up. All right, Ken, will you take my hand? Will you honor us with the recap, please? I've been Roddenberry prodded. <laughs> You're in front of everybody. <laughs> I know. Klingons of many houses are headed to Earth to lay waste to it, while the Discovery is headed to Kronos. Their stated plan is more benign. Jump Discovery into some caves on the Klingon homeworld, use drones to map it out, pick some choice targets, and eventually take the fight to the Klingons. But Discovery's new captain, the Terran Emperor Giorgio, pretending to be the less Terran Giorgio, is setting off alarms for Saru and Burnham. Burnham's pretty convinced that Giorgio is the only one aboard who knows the real plan. Another thing they don't know is exactly where on Kronos they should land. So Giorgio beats the Klingon captive Laurel senseless to find out. When that doesn't work, Burnham suggests they talk nicely to Ash Tyler about where to go. He can access Volk's memories, and he is willing to help. He suggests they land in an area of Kronos inhabited by Orions, land that was given to them a long time ago. So Giorgio picks her landing party. It'll be her, Burnham, Ash Tyler, and Tilly, for old time's sake. Times with Captain Killy, of course. Discovery jumps into Kronos and the four-member away team, dressed as low-life traders, heads to the Orion outpost. For a terrible place, it's not a bad place. Food vendors, clubs, full of gambling and other forms of entertainment. The mission now, find out how to get to the best place to release the drones. They know it's an old shrine, but they don't know where it is. Giorgio has a little one-on-two adult time and gets her answer. Tyler goes full Klingon, gambling with real Klingons to get info, though he gets nothing. It does freak Burnham out, though, and she takes off. When he catches up with her, she tells the story of her parents' death, how they were killed while she hid in the room, killed by Klingons. Her dad quickly, her mother slowly. Then they sat at her table, ate her food, talking, 
and laughing. So, yeah, Tyler talking and laughing with the Klingons might have been a bit of a trigger. And yet, Kronos is just a planet full of people. Maybe not people like she knows, not living lives like she lives. But this is home with people living their lives. And what they're about to do will change it forever. Only she doesn't know the half of it. Checking in on Tilly, she's gotten stoned. Eh, blame it on the old wrinkly Baylock looking Orion for that. He tried to steal the case with the drone while she was passed out, but whoops, when she opens it, in the case is not a drone. It is a seriously serious amount of serious explosives detonated in an active volcano system like the one on which the Orion settlement sits. They could start a chain reaction that would leave Kronos a dead planet within weeks. And Giorgio just stole it from Tilly and planted the explosives. Getting Saru up to speed, he says they should contact Starfleet. But Burnham thinks Starfleet knows that Giorgio is following Starfleet's orders. A quick call to Admiral Cornwell and Burnham's suspicion is confirmed. Cornwell says this is war. They don't have the luxury of principle, though Burnham counters that principle is all they have. And she and the crew of the Discovery will not be part of genocide. Change of plans. Giorgio can still have her freedom, but she needs to turn over the detonator. That will be given to Laurel. Starfleet could destroy her world. Instead, Starfleet will give Laurel the power to save her world and everything else. Instead of 24 houses tearing Earth, known space, and the Klingon Empire apart, she can unite the houses, as Vok and Takuvma before him had intended. And Ash Tyler will stay with her. There's really no place for him in the Federation. He and Burnham say their goodbyes, and the Rel calls back the 24 houses, stopping the attack on Earth. The war is over. Back at Starfleet, the crew of the Discovery is honored for its part in the war, in ending the war, and Michael Burnham regains her rank as commander. She makes a rousing speech about not trying to be better by being worse first, about ends not justifying the means. The only way to defeat fear, she says, is to tell it no. On their way to Vulcan, Discovery receives a distress call, NCC-1701. The Enterprise. Hey, that's Pike's ship, isn't it? Eh, maybe we'll find out next season. Nicely done, Ken. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Remember, everybody, if you want to join us, you can do exactly that by clicking on the uh, the link for the Zoom meeting, or you can give us a call with the numbers that are in the comments right uh, right above and right below where you're looking at it on Facebook. And uh, we do have a caller standing by on video right now. We have Jason. Jason, are you there, sir? I am here. Can you hear me okay? There you are, Jason. Maybe lean in a little closer to your mic. We can hear you, okay. but uh, there you go. Oh, good. You're wearing the Mission Log uniform. You have the jacket. You have the pin. Yeah, you Very hear that. Yeah, you see that? Yeah, good. Yeah. Oh, you have a whole display behind you there. You got the, oh, oh, man. Can we come to your place and hang? Got the, oh, got the Shenzhou here. Oh, look at that. Yeah, oh, nice. nice. So... So great to talk to you guys because it's been I've been a long-time listener and I love everything that you guys do. So it's too bad the boss can't hear me right now. <laughs> I'll, I'll relay uh, a message for you. He, yeah, good, he's good. done his good job. Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I struggled with, you know, what to say about this episode, but I mean, it's, it really has everything. I mean, you have, you're learning more about Burnham's guilt um, for, you know, for what she feels like her part was in her parents' death. 
and you know her hatred of the Klingons. You have, and this you know this is where Mary Wiseman really stole the show with Tilly. I mean, she her humor was just absolutely on point. Um, you know, the humor with Saru with his simply palatable line was just out of this world. And of course, you had Baylock. You know, you had uh, you had Clint Howard, which was just awesome. And everybody was pointing out, of course, uh, that you could see Tranya, you know, sitting there on the, uh, you know, on the uh, table there. With, you know, you had multi-vector urinating, which is just fabulous. <laughs> you had fried seti eels. You had a Romulan tent on Kronos, which I definitely want to know more about. Um, and then you had a trill getting a tattoo. So I mean, you just had you just had everything. But my main question really comes down to this: What did you guys think about? Um, Tyler's decision to go with Laurel, you know, what, what did you think about her or his, um, I don't know. It was surprising to me. I feel like it was surprising to me that, uh, that he, with the acceptance of the discovery crew and with what he, I, you know, I guess maybe it's his struggle with, you know, the relationship with Burnham, but were you all surprised by that? Hmm. Ken? I, I, well, I know I liked it. I can't say exactly why I liked it, except I think if they had kept him around with the uh, Federation crew or the Starfleet crew, there would have always been the question of mentoring candidate, right? Is he one day going to flip? Is he one day going to turn? Is he one day just going to be evil? I, I like the fact that his decision about that seemed considered. Because, I mean, the thing is, when he was when he was fighting with himself about whether or not he was going to be Vok or going to be Ash Tyler, right? He didn't really have a memory of who Lorel was or what it was that they were trying to do. Once that was broken, he does have that memory. And so I do like the fact that the character seemed to really think about what it is he wanted to do. He's not running from having been a Klingon anymore. He's not running to Michael Burnham. He's actually looking at his place and everything and then trying to figure out, okay, what's going to be the best thing for me. Um, I don't know that I agree that he's not good for anything, which I think he said, but I do agree that he might actually be, if he can be a moderating force with Laurel, a good sounding board for her, mm-hmm. then, I mean, what's weird is we're talking about this as if we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, we know there's going to be a war. We know the war is going to end. We know eventually we end up with a tenuous peace for the Klingons. And yet I find, especially with that character and his decision, I find myself thinking, wow, I wonder how that's going to go. So that was right. that was me personally. What about you, John? Um, by the way, uh, well, before I get to that, I just have to mention that uh, Mark in the Facebook chat says uh, "multi-vector urination" is the new band name. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, it's my nine-inch nails cover <laughs> that's band. Good. Actually, <laughs> that's good. That's good. Um, yeah, I, so I agree with you, Ken. That I, I like that. That's the direction that they took. Would have been entirely too easy for them to end with uh, uh, Michael Burnham rejecting Ash and saying, "No, you're on your own," and then for them to get back together. It would have been a little too sappy, a little too cheesy. I like that she had a moment in this episode to say, "Yeah, look, it would be really easy if I hated you." But yeah. So you, you understand that the emotions there are real, and that's something that I really like about this show and like about Discovery overall is that for most of these characters, when, when they hit an emotion or when they hit a, a motivation that, that's driven by emotion, it's never just one thing, that they are playing the multiple facets of those moments. So I, I really appreciate that. Now, the other thing that I like about Ash 
slash Vogue going with Laurel is that it's kind of a parallel to the speech that we saw uh, uh, Michael Burnham give. Well, not, not a speech, but, but the, the little line that she gave while they're on Kronos saying, these are just people going about their lives. Right. This is not a war. These are actual people that we should and could be able to empathize with. So what you just said, Ken, about Ash being a, uh, a moderating force on Laurel, he might be the one who can say, look, if we have a bone to pick with the Federation, it's about an institution. It's about politics. It's not about people. So maybe, just maybe, the way that Burnham was able to humanize the enemy, quote unquote, the enemy here, maybe, just maybe, Ash is able to humanize the Federation to whatever that new power structure is on uh, on Kronos. Yeah, not to be that guy, but I think it would actually be, he would be Klingonizing the Federation. Sure, sure. yeah, there, there you go, there you go. Good point. Uh, Jason, I, I do want to ask you and, and Ken as well here, um, Good idea or bad idea to hand the doomsday weapon over to Laurel? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Um, you know, the 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 common theme I think through the entire episode was cages. To me, I, it was you know obviously Georgia was in her cage, you know, because she couldn't be let out until they found an actual purpose for her. So, and then she was let out of her cage. Then she walked out, you know, because she chose. I guess the better action, which was to give up the detonator, you know, and then Laurel, you know, she's let out of her cage because she has a purpose. And I think it, it was surprising, you know, the, the direction they took that the Klingons would actually follow her. But of course she has her hand on the detonator. So yeah, I mean, it's tenuous at best, you know, uh, it, it, it obviously thwarted, uh, plans for Earth destruction at this time, uh, but it'll be interesting to see how it plays out for sure. You know, good idea. It was the best idea they could come up with, and like you said, John, I, I, you took the words right out of my mouth. That you know, Spock always said there are always possibilities, and the theme was there's always another. Way, there's another way, and you know, Burnham said that several times, and this was the other way, and you know, better perhaps than uh, than leaving it in the hands of uh, Giorgio. I suppose. Ken, what about you? Well, I think also better than leaving it in the hands of the Federation. I mean, sure. the Klingons are going to have to choose at this point how they're going to be, right? There, there would be no choice for them if Burnham said, we've got this and we could always do this. Well, at that point, I mean, that's just going to, that, that's just, that's just asking the Klingons to attack again, but just make sure you, you know, kill us the first time next time. I mean, by handing the power back to Laurel, I mean, she's basically, She's giving her the power to do what she always wanted to do with the Klingons, but then she's also she's also she's putting the fate of the Klingons back in the hands of the Klingons. I mean, she I like the fact that she actually she says this is where we crushed you. I mean, so she can go ahead and draw the whole thing out and know, okay, if I don't play along, this ends poorly. And I like the fact that then she went ahead and turned that back over to them to let them let them uh, chart their own course, if you will. Right. Yeah, I, I you know I, I have to say that I like the Star Trekness of that. I, I like the Star Trekness of coming up with a with a solution that wasn't the obvious solution. Um, it, it is a, a little TOS in the respect that it's sort of like Kirk showing up somewhere and saying, "Well, I'm going to change the power structure. I'm going to wash my hands of it, and I'll see you later. Good luck." 
<laughs> you know, yeah. um, I, I'm not crazy about kind of the mechanics of this episode, like it, just how we get from point A to point B and here's a device and we hand the device over and see ya. But I like the the thematic exploration of this episode. To you, Jason, it was about the, the cages and, and escaping those cages. Um, I, I liked the ability of this episode to show us possibilities kind of Ken, like you and I have talked about with the, uh, the Picard thing um, you, you negotiate. And then if you fail, you negotiate again. And if you fail, you negotiate again. And Michael Burnham was that voice for this episode to say, if it looks like a failure around this corner, if it looks like a failure around this corner, the biggest failure being that we violate our own principles, we will find another way to not do that. So all those messages I really appreciated, even if every single plot point I wasn't on board with. And and that might have been the biggest plot point that I wasn't on board with. It was just the literal thing of here, handing the de- detonator over to the REL. Right. But Ken, as you pointed out, maybe then it's a good thing that Ash stayed behind. I asked myself the poll question we had a few weeks ago. Have we seen the last of Ash Tyler? <laughs> I, I, I don't think that we have. Well, I think it's more likely that we're going to see Giorgio than we're going to see Ash Tyler again. But yeah, it's hard to imagine. I could get down with that show. The only one it feels safe right now to say that we've seen the last of is Lorca. But of course, we still haven't seen a body for the prime universe Lorca. So we don't really know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm telling you, it's a spinoff show right now. The Adventures (laughs) of Emperor Giorgio. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Jason, thank you for joining us tonight. Anything else? Just one quick thing. I had my tiny Clint Howard with me tonight. Uh, oh, nice. Oh, man. There's little, yes. bla- there's little Baylock right there. I don't nice. think he, has, he does have a glass of Tron yet in his hand. I don't know if you can see that. Yes. But, yeah. And then Baylock one other thing, I want to raise a glass, my 10 forward glass to you guys. Thank you so much for everything you do. Oh, hey, right back at you, Jason. Thank you so much. Still not going to tell you what's in here, but uh, thank you. (laughs) All right, fellas. Jason, until next time, buddy. Thanks a lot, Jason. Right. Oh, we should remind people how to get in touch with us, shouldn't we? And then we I know we have another caller lined up. Yeah, let's do that. Which should we do first? Uh, Let's remind people. How about that? Okay. Yeah, I'm vamping because I have to find it. There it is. And the way to get in touch with this is by uh, clicking on the Zoom meeting link on your PC or Mac. Somewhere up there and somewhere down there, there's a link. And uh, you click on that, and that'll get you most of the way here. Uh, You can also give us a call, 646-558-8656. That number again, 646-558-8656. Then type in the meeting code on the screen. You can also use the one-tap form from your smartphone and be connected that way. And, uh, and, And we'd be just so happy. If you did that, we'd be so happy. Like we're like, like how happy we are, for example, that uh, Ari is joining us. Good evening, sir. Hello, gentlemen. How are you? Doing all right. What's on your mind tonight? Uh, I just want to ask you guys a quick question and a comment. Uh, Grilled Seti Eel, anyone? I thought that was a great shout out. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It was wonderful, except we, well, whatever. Yes, it was fantastic. I I immediately thought of my shirt. I will say, I meant to ask Jason how big his TV is. I didn't notice that that was a trill getting uh, tattooed. And he mentioned like three other things that he saw. And I'm like, wait a minute, where was that? The the SETI Alpha 5 deal I did see. Well, I kind of saw it out of the corner of my eye. And so I had to kind of like, and I had it recorded. So I had to rewind, go back. And like, did I really see that? I think I saw that. 
Yeah, anyway, I, 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 I liked the uh, I liked that the tattoo the the trill was getting though had it, you saw in the later shot she gets up mm. and it's sort yeah. of like glowing I, like that was that was sharp it was a space tattoo a space tattoo it was absolutely tattoo. to go yeah. with the space drinks and the space seti eel mm-hmm. <laughs> everything yeah um, so that was my quick question um, I I wanted to say uh, um, I really liked how. Um, how the crew reigned in the ideals of the Federation at the end of the episode. Um, and this was amazing because they did that. It wasn't the captain. It wasn't the admiral. The admiral was ready to blow up the entire planet, which is, of course, you know, par for the course for admirals throughout the entire <laughs> TOS, TNG, everything. But, um, but it, was, it was the collective of the crew, and I thought that was so great. That was, that was, that was true Star Trek to me. Uh, I, I can't disagree with you there. I mean, I, I loved that. And um, like, like I said, it's one of those things about this episode that I, I love the messaging. I love the theming, mm-hmm. even if to me, the plot was almost secondary. It was all about getting to that point where the last 10 to 15 minutes was the speechifying. And, yep. and it was one of those, I, I was in a room full of people who wanted to stand up and <laughs> give the applause, you know, yeah. it, it was edited nicely. It was dramatic. It, it was, it was sort of what we were all waiting for to come I, out of the show. I think so, because it, it felt like the whole, the whole, um, the whole season was like, you're looking at a diamond and you can't quite see it because it's stuck in some mud and it's, you're straight, you're starting to wash it off and it, and it gets a bit of more mud back on it and that, all that kind of stuff. And, you go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it was really nice to just pull it out, clean it off, see, okay, yes, this is, this is true uh, idealistic Star Trek. And, and it comes from the crew, like they're writing their own mission statement for Star Trek. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, I, I wondered, though, about uh, Cornwell. I, is she a bad moral, as they say, <laughs> in, the, in the tradition I, of Star aren't they Trek? Are going to be bad morals? Well, because here's the thing. She's she made this horrible decision, but then she's there at the end with all the medals on her uniform. And, and don't get me wrong. I think she's an awesome character and I hope we get to see more of her, but she was the one about to pull the trigger on this terrible plan. Yeah. And I think that, and I think that um, it's, it's, it's always tough to see those admirals making those decisions because it's like they're making the hard decisions for everybody, but the idealism isn't isn't there and they're saying oh it's war it's war it's war it's war okay but you're sacrificing all your moral fibers all everything that you stand for as the united federation um to make you know this justification that it's just war uh so yeah i don't know i i think she has good in her but i think she was backed into a corner it's like she has to be the bad guy in this because there's no more Lorca. um you know, and even the Klingons at this point <laughs> almost don't seem to be, sorry, almost don't seem to be the best. Sorry. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> He's speaking up for Star Trek. Um, you know, and it seems like um, even, even in this episode, the Klingons aren't really the enemy. It's like, what is the enemy? The enemy is poor morals, poor choices. That's, that's kind of how it felt to me. The enemy is a cat that hasn't been fed. And uh, it will take you down in the middle of a show. So many times. <laughs> Sorry. No, no problem at all. We had that. Uh, Annie's Cats, I think, is another uh, is another band name. 
and these cats oh, there were on you the go. show. There you weeks go. Ago. Yeah. Oh. I don't know why I remember that it was Andy, but yeah. And you guys cats. want a cat? I have two cats. I can <laughs> donate two cats. <laughs> I'm keeping my you know, dog. Ari, there's no shortage of cats. So really, I think we're all good, whether we have one or not. I think. <laughs> well, apparently, there's there's a puppy problem in Star Trek for sure. They just come and yeah. go. <laughs> but the cats, Jump. well, spot anyway. Mm. Yeah, don't even get it started. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Did did and your cat spontaneously change sex like Spot? Uh, uh, no, I think he just loses his mind. Yeah. Okay. Right. I know. <laughs> Sometimes I wish he was another kind of animal. <laughs> Anyways, I, I wanted to say you guys have been doing such a fantastic job. You know, I I started listening to the podcast. Um, I think it was about two years after you guys started. So I think the last four years of my life have been just you know, every week, every week, every week with you guys. And, uh, I just amazing, amazing job that you guys do. And thank you to, to you guys, to Rod, to everything that, and all the people that run this thing behind the scenes. Um, amazing. You're looking at them (laughs) (laughs) right here. These two guys. (laughs) No, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It's great. Yeah. Thank you very much. Ari. That's really, that's thank you. Yeah, really appreciate no worries, it. No worries. Keep up the good work and thank you for uh, for letting me ask a couple of things and pointing out something. So that was good. <laughs> awesome, man. Till next time, Ari. Until next live time. Prosper, everybody. Hey, live long and prosper. All right. We have business that we need to do, Mr. Champion. Before we do that, though, I want to remind people, and I haven't checked the poll lately, so I don't know what the new numbers are. Mm-hmm. But uh, the question that we put out to people, did you enjoy your time on Kronos? Did you? Uh, you go to the thing and you do the thing and, and answer the question because we're planning a trip and we can't decide. So <laughs> your vote really does count at this point. Hey, um, we have props. And, and, and as the whole thing I said earlier about not being good visual storytellers, I think we have to be sure to tell people who are listening uh, what it is that we have here. I actually can't see what you're doing, John. Are you, do you have, oh, are you? Oh, I think I might. I okay. think I might. While he's doing that, I will tell you that what you're looking at is the uh, is the Shenzo from the uh, Discovery Starships collection from our good friends at Eagle Moss. Um, Of course, I mean we've seen the last episode, right, for the first season, but that doesn't mean you're done looking at pretty little starships. Oh no, no, no! I'm sorry, did I say little? I meant pretty big starships because yes, of course, um, you can get the Shenzo heading your way. Um, on the Federation side, actually, it's not just the Shenzo. That's what you're going to start with. But uh, you've also got the Discovery on the way, the Kerala, the Jaeger, the Europa. Uh, then flying in from Klingon space, you've got ships um, like the reimagined Klingon Bird of Prey and the Kach-class destroyer. Mm, so, uh, and, and now I'm going to play uh, with my uh, Shenzo, John, while you yeah. talk so all right, what you'll see when you visit eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships are renderings that serve as the basis for the diecast models themselves. Uh, they are painstakingly reproduced. When I say renderings, I mean those come from the actual VFX files used on the show. So these are as accurate as you can get. And they are created under the supervision of Star Trek expert Ben Robinson. So what we're talking about here is a collection that is officially authorized by CBS Studios. 
They're about eight to 10 inches long, depending on the ship from bow to stern. They are hand painted. And I'm here to tell you, and, and Ken, I'm sure you're holding it up for everybody to see there, that they are rich in detail. They are absolutely stunning to look at. Uh, each one comes with an amazing magazine, which I'm holding here in my hands, and it's full of real world and in-universe information. And each comes with a display stand suitable for displaying your ships. Now, what's amazing is that ship that we just showed you can be yours for just a crazy low price. And for people, I know I say show and some people are listening, but go to that website that we were talking about or the one that we'll tell you about in a moment. You'll be able to see exactly what we're talking about. But the Shenzo can be yours for only $9.95 with free shipping when you sign up for a subscription. Now, additional models, including the Discovery, um, will ship monthly for the special subscriber's price of $44.95. That's 20% off the standard retail price. And that also comes with free shipping. Yeah. So now people who want to pick and choose their ships can do that. For that, you would go to shop.eaglemoss.com or check your local comic book shop. You'll pay about 10 bucks more there. But look, honestly, saving money isn't the only reason to subscribe. Subscribers get free gifts worth over 100 bucks during their subscription. And of course, you can cancel your subscription at any time. So to subscribe, it is eaglemoss.com slash discoverystarships. To buy individually, it is shop.eaglemoss.com. And we would like to thank Eagle Moss for sponsoring this week's show and all the shows that we've done as part of the whole Mission Log Live thing, right? Yeah, that's pretty rad, right? Thank you. Thank you, that guys. That is pretty cool of them. Yeah. Um, can I sort of respond to something that Ari said a moment ago? Absolutely. And I'm not, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't want to be argumentative because here's the thing. I love Giorgio's speech. I, I'm not Giorgio's. I'm sorry. I love Burnham's speech. So what, what part of Giorgio's speech you loved? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, we can talk about that off mic. No. Uh, so the, uh, the parts of Burnham's speech that I loved, obviously the ones where she says, you know, we don't cut corners. Uh, the, the way to defeat fear is to say no. Mm-hmm. I loved all of that. And yes, I love the fact that a group of people stood up in the face of a bigger group of people doing something wrong. I'm still bothered that Starfleet was willing to commit genocide. And, and, and it's not like I ever thought that our characters weren't going to end up being good characters, but I'm kind of bothered that we had to get down to this organization, this United Federation of planets was going to cut that corner. And yes, it's great that we get the, it's great that we get the speech. It's fantastic that we get the speech, but I, I wish the speech had not been aimed at the Federation. I wish we hadn't had them. I wish we hadn't had to save ourselves in a way. I I feel you. I feel you. I mean, it it, kind of goes back to look, you know, Captain Kirk himself was the one who said, let them die when the Klingons almost all died out. And he had to get that reset through experience. He had to get that reset as to what, he was actually supposed to do and the person he was supposed to be. So this kind of story isn't totally out of the ordinary for Star Trek, and it isn't totally out of the ordinary for the characters that we want to follow and want to be our heroes. But I, yeah, I I get it. Look, it, it took us 15 episodes to get to that speech. And that speech had to be given to a higher up who should have known better. 
Right. I mean, um, I mean, yeah. you say that Kirk had to get that reset. He had to get that reset from one of his friends and from Starfleet, from the Federation. Mm-hmm. He's not the one who had to go and say, no, Federation, you're doing it all wrong. The Federation had to go, dude, seriously, come join us in today because you're stuck in you're stuck in sort of an outmoded bit of thought. Yeah. Which, which strikes me as one of the big differences there. Which, I mean, which is not to say I don't love her speech because I absolutely do love her speech. Um, and I'm glad after 15 episodes we got it. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Well, I tell you what, let's find out what Matthew has to say. Matthew has been waiting patiently on the phone here. So, uh, Matthew, are you there? And would you like to chime in? I'm here. Good to talk with you again, gentlemen. Hey, excellent. Welcome back to the show. Uh, I want to say first, it's really it's great that Discovery wasn't the disaster that several Internet reports had said going into it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. You're absolutely yes. right about that. Yeah. I mean, you know, it could be a show that maybe you didn't care for, but, you know, it was well done, well produced, well written, all that stuff. So that was good. Um, how great would it be for season two if it starts out with them? sailing off away from the Enterprise, going, wow, that was crazy. Hey, Sinclair, thanks to Captain Pike. (laughs) (laughs) So you don't want to see another retelling of the Enterprise? I don't know. That that would uh, probably not go over too well. But if they do go aboard the Enterprise, it's a shame the Star Trek continues sets are in Georgia, and they shoot Discovery up in Toronto. (laughs) Okay, but there's another bridge of the Enterprise, and where is it? Um, New York, Ticonderoga. Ticonderoga or Saratoga? I couldn't remember which. Ticonderoga, it's one of those, yeah, that's one of those uh, places that there. Yeah, which is not terribly far from Toronto. It's certainly much closer than Georgia. Can I ask? So, so you don't want to go aboard the Enterprise? Is that correct? No, I was. That would have been the uh, the quickest way to upset every fan possible. I will tell you honestly, I I have always felt shortchanged by how little Pike we ended up getting. I And I did not like all of the callbacks all of the times, but if we end up meeting Pike, I don't want to meet another Spock because we've seen plenty of those at this point. Um, I really have no interest in meeting another Kirk, but it wouldn't bother me to have more than we've only had. If you count the J.J. Abrams movies, we've only had three, maybe four stories with Pike. If you also count Menagerie, it wouldn't it wouldn't bother yeah. me to get to get a little uh, to get a little Pike in there. How about a, uh, actually, somebody just beat me to it on, on the chat. Somebody says, uh, how about Bruce Greenwood? And I, it, we got shortchanged of uh, Bruce Greenwood in the J.J. In the Abrams Star Trek movies. He was a great Pike. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. We only got four. Also, there is the possibility of um, number one. Uh, with, um, That'd be nice to see. The old, the old major character. But I don't know. Now when, for, for season two, uh, my main question was going to be, do you guys want to see uh, like another season long story arc, or would you rather see like sort of enterprise season four where they did like several, like three episode season arcs or three, three episode story arcs. Oh, I, 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 I want next gen back. I'm sorry. <laughs> I want to, I want the Orville. I want, I mean, yes, I know people are excited that, you know, at, at the end of the 15 episode arc, we got the bonk bonk on the head. Uh, the reason we have bonk bonk on the head as a t-shirt and it's a thing that we say on our show is because you used to get that every week. And I, I kind of, I would like 15 uplifting stories, or even if you're going to, even if you're going to do what you're saying, I'd like five uplifting stories as opposed to one story that ends up being okay for everybody. 
I, I think that they proved that they can do it on disco. You, you had a, a particular standout was the Harry Mudd episode, Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad, where it was just fun. You, you did land with something where you had the crew come together in that last moment, and that was cool to see because they hadn't been that way up until that point. Um, not only, uh, Matthew, do I like season four of Enterprise, where you had a lot of mini arcs, some two and three episode length stories but i actually really liked season three that was a bit of an experiment with them where they did the the season long story of the battle with the zindi but they threw in all these other episodes that could be standalone but you just get a little nugget of the story that would feed into the overall arc so i think it can be done either way i i think maybe what we're asking for here is a little change in tone but I also like the sophistication of the storytelling in Discovery, where character choices and there are consequences to those choices, uh, to, to what happens uh, along the way. So I really like seeing that in Discovery in a way that we have not seen before in most of Star Trek. So I hope that they can maintain that. But uh, look, I, I think I'm getting into the subject matter that we'll get into next week where it's our, our season wrap-up and then kind of our oh, okay. hopes and expectations for the next week. So we'll, we'll, we'll continue this next week, shall we? <laughs> All right. And then one last question. Since uh, we know Rod Roddenberry, who's uh, one of the pro- executive producers on Discovery, oh, can we put in a good right word to, yeah. <laughs> to try and get uh, Tracy Lee Coco aligned finally? <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know what? Yeah, that's... It's an interesting yeah. idea. Yeah, yeah. Rod, uh, you think we can get Tracy Lee Coco a line somewhere in the new Star Trek? Lieutenant Junior J from uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, she never had a line. After eight years, more than that, movies, TV, I think maybe she should get a line. Maybe her daughter, I mean her mother. Her, her mother or grandmother would be, yeah. yeah. Okay. We're <laughs> working on it. We're working on it. Yeah. All right. Good call, Matthew. All right. Well, uh, wonderful job on season one and uh, looking forward to season two. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I can't wait to, I I look forward to hearing when we get to see season two and then I look forward to watching it as well. (laughs) Matthew, thank you very much for calling in tonight. We do appreciate it. Thanks gentlemen. Should we do the thing again where we remind people or should we just jump to the next caller? Let's do a quick reminder. Uh, Click the link. The, the, the Zoom link, it's right there on the screen, or call the number 646-558-8656, and then put in the meeting code, and now we'll go to our next caller, Cosmo. Hello, can you hear me okay? We sure can. It's, hey. uh, it's Livingston Picard. It is. How oh, are you? Okay. Hey, how's it going? It's going well. Um, and this is James over here. Hey, James. <laughs> in his blue shirt. Yeah, he's all decked out and ready for a... Uh... Ready for uh, oh, I don't want to say battle. I don't want to say action. Go feeding the whales. He's a blue shirt. He's feeding the whales and the uh, dolphins. Ready for Um, so I got to agree with Ken twice tonight. Um, you know something wasn't sitting right with me about Burnham's speech all season long. We've all been wondering how the trickness of this series, and they we got the boink boink on the head at the end, but something wasn't sitting right with me, and I think Ken nailed it on the head that Starfleet came to that decision to do genocide really easy. They, they just took Giorgio's word and Sarek and Cornwell 
made the decision or the rest, we don't know what the rest of Starfleet comprised of at that point, but um, yeah, that, that didn't sit well with me. And I expect a little bit better out of, I expect a little bit better out of uh, Sarek and um, uh, the fact that it took uh, Burnham to stand up to it. Remember though, it was actually Sarek who gave us the Vulcan. Hello. That's true. He originally was the one who said the way you beat the uh, the way you beat the Klingons is to beat them mercilessly. Mm-hmm. I mean, the second, it's sort of like uh, the um, oh, the Sean Connery speech from the Untouchables. Bring a knife, you bring a gun, right? Right. And then um, Ken, what you said about the uplift, less of a giant arc, and I, I think Deep Space Nine really hit it uh, out of the park with that. And I mean, there was the big four season long Dominion War, but there were plenty of individual episodes in there that stand alone that were really fantastic. And so I'm hoping that we get more than we did uh, this season. And um, thinking into the future, I'd sure love if we, by all accounts, discovery is a pretty big hit. Um, I I see all these numbers that I don't understand, but saying it's outperforming the walking dead on demand. Um, So who knows? We might get a spinoff in a couple of years. And I would love uh, the anthology type thing that Brian Fuller had originally talked about. And at this season, I, I would be okay with leaving discovery behind us and giving us a new ship in the fleet. we don't have to change time periods, but heck you guys have killed off most of the main cast. <laughs> you know, uh, Hugh's dead. Lorca's dead. Uh, the security chief is dead. Ash is gone. So I'd be okay with moving on to a new time period or show. And I know that's not going to happen for discovery, but, couple years from now when uh, this is still going great and we get a spinoff, that's something I would like to see. Um, It's interesting. We got a a comment here on the Facebook chat. John Morales says, I don't think it was easy at all. I think they were very desperate looking at the destruction of all of Starfleet. Giorgio just gave them a way out of it. And I, I think about that, that, you know, Starfleet theoretically has had it pretty easy. Their charter is to be exploratory. Um, they, they have these principles that maybe are easier to adhere to in a time of peace when you present yourself as an exploratory outfit than when you take people who have, who have not been experienced with war, who have not been facing the eradication of not only everybody they know, but their planets, the, the, every system that they have built up around themselves what are these desperate ne- measures that they fall back on, even knowing that those are the wrong steps to take. So it takes a Michael Burnham to slap the sense back into them and say, no, we can't be as bad as the enemy that would defeat us. So yeah, look, I, I, I get it, man. I, I think you make a great point, Cosmo. Um, also, I hope you enjoy the fish food. It was fantastic. Good. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, about the finale, I thought the uh, character beats were all fantastic. Uh, like somebody brought up earlier, Tilly, that was the most I've liked Tilly all season. And Saru has really come into his own. So there were fantastic uh, character moments. But I, and I think, John, you said the mechanics of the episode, some of those didn't work for you. And I agree with that. Um, a little bit anticlimactic, but uh, the heart of the characters, uh, really made the episode worth it for me. Yeah. I'm, 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 Tilly, especially it was, it was great because sometimes 
Yeah, her comic timing was just fantastic in this episode. It was really yes. just, she was a she was a joy to watch all the way through. I mean, I, personally, I think she's yeah. been she's been one of the brightest points of the whole series as far as just character moments. But um, yeah, she was she was a tremendous amount of fun for this last episode. I'm glad she didn't just like fade into the background. Yeah, and I sure hope next season, now that so many people are dead, that we get some of the rest of that bridge crew uh, to get some. Uh, time to shine because they seem interesting and the one or two lines they've all had I've liked them I like our comms officer Uh, he has a cool voice and a cool look so I'm hoping we get a get to know them next season a little bit more um I I know that uh people will not like that I can't remember her name but the uh the cyborg on the bridge who's just really cool looking um I would say Amir Amar something like I I'm sorry I apologize I'm getting it wrong but Every time she moves, you hear that kind of whirring of mechanics, the, 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 the sort of the servos or whatever. And I wonder if that happens all the time. Like uh, if you're trying to go to sleep at night and you turn your head, does that wake you up? Uh, because you hear your own gears turning. I just I don't know. How, we need to have a whole sub story about her. Michael's lucky she got Tilly as a roommate and not the android or the mm-hmm. robot. Yeah, that would keep you up all night. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, thank you guys for everything that you do. Uh, you, uh, all the hours of mission log really make a stay at home dad's life go by a little bit quicker. Thank you very much. I really thank, thank you, Cosmo. I appreciate it. And give us a call back. Um, give us a call back beyond discovery. Okay. All right, guys. Hey, we do have another caller coming up in just a moment, but before we do that, I want to remind you that there is another show coming up after this one. Uh, the good people over at Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, get together every Tuesday night, uh, usually about five or ten minutes after our show ends, to talk all things Star Trek. All things, you say? Well, yes, they do Star Trek news, uh, they do uh, some literary reviews, and they will also be talking over this week's episode of Discovery. So right after this show, uh, point your browser to facebook.com slash priority one podcast join tony and kenna and elijah and whoever else they happen to have on this week and um yeah have some fun with those guys facebook.com slash priority one podcast all right so we have two callers hanging on and uh we're gonna get to them really quickly so uh earl we're gonna talk to you next here earl green how are you sir just fine how about you Good. We're doing all right. I uh, I couldn't help but notice sort of the uh, there's sort of a reaction that happens right in the wake of an episode airing that is different from the more measured response that you get later. I noticed a lot of people saying, oh, the war wouldn't end that quick. And that reminded me a lot of Babylon 5 fandom in 1997 when they concluded, you know, their first big war arc, you know, the war wouldn't end that quick, you know, same thing. And I kind of noticed there were a lot of similarities in plot between the two shows. I mean, not knocking Discovery. I enjoyed it tremendously. But we start the season with Earthlings accidentally killing an alien leader. And then we have a sleeper agent who doesn't know that there is a sleeper agent among the crew. And several other things like that. I'm kind of hoping that season two, we get a little bit further afield, whether we're doing story arcs or standalones. And do something a little bit more unique. I guess there were some ways that I, uh, I've, I felt like I'd seen this show before and I'm not hmm. sure if anyone else picked up on that. 
Well, I, if I, for one, will admit I have not seen most of Babylon 5. I did watch Galactic. I, I know, I know, getting the look. Um, look, I only have so much time, Earl. <laughs> um, uh, I did watch uh, Galactica pretty religiously. Um, and yes, I, I mean, I think no matter what, when you're doing sci-fi, there are going to be elements that are, are similar from one show to another. And part of that is the nature of storytelling on TV now versus storytelling on TV 30 or 50 years ago. Um, but yeah, I, uh, the Babylon five stuff, I, I've heard people talk about it in relation to discovery. I for one would not pick up on it because I'm not familiar enough with that show. <laughs> What's funny though, Earl is even though he's not seen much of Babylon five, I'll bet you $5. He's got the Blu-ray DVD. Or the box set or something along those lines. I'm gonna, be right. Yes. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Earl, I actually want to try to hit your question next week. Cause I think it's more of a like whole series thing. And the other thing is, and I hate to rush you, but we do also have somebody else who's trying to get on really quick. So I'm going to ask you let's, let's if, we can, if we can hit that question a bit more uh, next week. And thank you uh, very much for your call, sir. Uh, we do have, um, Oh, I don't have my glasses. Is it Phil? We have Phil uh, waiting to talk to us. It is Phil. Thank you very much. You handsome bearded devil's you. Um, (laughs) I've been listening to your show ever since TOS, and I just rewatched Metamorphosis because I really enjoyed uh, The the Shape of Water. And uh, I I, I saw some some things in between that uh, that that seemed to be there. I want to say a couple of things about the the way the the show ended. I know there's been some uh, backlash against, you know, why, why give... Why give this device to the Klingons and everything? Uh, the theory, I have two, two, two comments. One is blowing up, uh, blowing up the planet may not have done what they wanted to do. You have all these different, for lack of a better term, houses and gangs out there. They're still going to be dangerous. They're still going to be, you'll have to fight every single one of them at different times. Um, also, our crew uh, has seen the other, the other universe <laughs> The whole plan is from the other universe, and that's not too, and that's not going to build a a a, a tenable peace in the future. Um, you know, if 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 the admiral weakened and said, "Well, maybe we should do this," it's only because she has seen more hell. When she says, "Oh, twenty percent of Starfleet is gone," that's probably a lie. It's probably thirty or forty percent. Will would they have the military power? They take out all those, all those different houses that will never stop fighting because their home world was destroyed. I don't think so. Yeah. Anyway, if you're talking about- thank you for all the hours of, of entertainment and thought. You know. Thank you very much. I will say really quickly, if you're talking about a real world um, uh, answer to that question, I'm reminded of the end of um, Dr. Strangelove, the whole point of a doomsday weapon is knowing that there might be a doomsday. I mean, once you actually push the button, then, then, I mean, then all bets are off. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it seems like a story device that was really just there to ratchet up the, uh, to ratchet up the horror of what, um, of what might have happened. I think, does that make sense to you, John? But I think, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, well, go ahead, I, I hate to do this, Phil, but we are like, we are right up against the top of the hour. Can you give yeah. us a call back That's next fine. week, please? I will have, be happy. This is the first time I just I would just got on like the last fifteen minutes of this show because I've been wanting to do it. And I'm just forgetting it, but I'll, I will call next week. 
Cool. No, please you're welcome do. back anytime, Phil. Yeah. You're, you're raising a bunch of really interesting questions that I personally would, 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 would keep on. those beards guys. You look really, it's my ticket back to the alternate dad. I'm sorry. The mirror universe. <laughs> Hey, I want to let everybody know Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Or Mission Log Live even is produced yeah. by Roddenberry Entertainment. Right the executive producer, Rod Roddenberry, no he's wandering around there somewhere. Technical production by Mission Log, uh, for Mission Log Live by Infinity Networks, producer Brandon Bradley. Uh, be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, including not just Mission Log, but also Women at War, Priority One, and The Trek Files. Uh, we would again like to thank Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Starships collection for sponsoring this show. Be sure to check out their fine wares, eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships. And we will talk to you next week. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.